Okay. Hello and welcome to Finding Your North Star, the HGKC podcast series where we talk to prominent business people about their experiences and challenges of innovation. I'm Peter Quintana and I'm delighted to welcome today Rob Sheffield, Managing Consultant with Blue Green Learning and author of How Leaders Learn to Boost Creativity in Teams. <clears throat> good morning and welcome, Rob. Hello there, Peter. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thanks for inviting me along and I'm looking forward to it. My pleasure. We, we recently read your your book for the book club and we're delighted you were able to join us for the discussion with several other business owners in the room actually it was quite a good turnout how did you enjoy the session I thought I, I really really enjoyed it so you know partly because I the, the book I published was only published at the end of January so it's early days really I mean hardly anyone's finished the whole thing but your people had and so um, it was great to be in a room of, there were about 10 of us, weren't there? Yeah. Um, it was relaxed. They were interested. They were informed. So it was a real treat, really, you know, partly to know what they thought about the book, but in a way, more to have a conversation about something that we're interested in, which is creativity and innovation. So I really, really enjoyed it. And there was Good. cake. Yeah, there was yes good good i'm really pleased you did you you included you included a shoot a short bio in your book could you say a little more for the benefit of our listeners about your journey so far yeah of course so i i started off in the corporate world in a in a generalist uh, human resources role but i pretty quickly worked out what I was really interested in was uh, learning and development and organizational development. And so I, I worked in book publishing and aerospace um, for about uh, 11, 12 years before setting up a business that was back, started up back in 1999. So it's just had 20 years of, of running. And, and that's been really all, all around people and learning and trying to make change stick. Um, so, you know, we, we, we get into a lot around how, how leaders um, affect the climate of the teams and organizations that others work in. So we do a lot of work with leaders, whether it's one-to-one -one coaching, um, training, consulting. Um, we do a, 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 lot, a lot of work at the team level. Um, I'm, I'm really interested in the impact of what we do. I think there are lots of people offering work in this area. Um, but too often what people do isn't re it's not really evaluated and shared and spread. So I'm really interested in learning that sticks. Mm -hmm. And I, I think, I think what I figured out Peter in, in retrospect was I was always really interested in people and learning. I think back to my teams, I was, I was interested in that stuff, even if I wasn't really studying it. So, so that, you know, that, that's my kind of enduring work interest really. And then at some point I cottoned on to this, nebulous area called creativity and innovation I didn't really know what it was but I put some effort into learning more about it um, and could see that it was a growing area and, and I think I saw it was going to be a growing area mm. but it, re it really interested me because it's got obvious links to people and you know, well-being and expression at work so and, and learning in fact Absolutely, absolutely, and learning. Yeah, well, it's bang, bang in that area, isn't it? Mm, absolutely. So you've you've been involved now with innovation for some years, and uh, you know you've worked with multiple clients in both public and private sectors to help them boost their creativity. What prompted you to write this book now? At least a couple of things. Um, I think 
one one was uh, acknowledging that especially the word innovation there's a lot of hype and noise around it it's very very topical and it has been for a few years mm. uh, and i want i wanted to show that there's some real substance behind the noise so you know that there is a need for it that it is something real um because i think you know the with hypes there's the risk that um the proverbial will be thrown out with the bathwater and there is something real about the need for innovation i'm i'm sure in organizations and society and secondly that actually we already know a lot about um, how to help people be more creative and innovative there's there's at least 60 years worth of good work um, whether teaching, research, consulting, um, that shows when people set out to get better at these skills, they actually, we know how to do it. Um, and there are branches um, around that area, whether we're into creative problem solving, design thinking, um, TRIZ or other methodologies. But actually, we're not starting from scratch. We know, we already know a lot. And I wanted to kind of pull all of that together into something as succinct as I could, but I also recognise it. I think it's quite wide-ranging what I've tried to cover. And, and quite in-depth, I, I would say, as well, in, in areas. It's, it's a really fascinating um, read, I, I think. Uh, one thing that, that, that um, sprung out of me was your, your quote from Meg Whitman, the former CEO of HP Enterprise, who who said, we're now living in an idea economy where success is defined by the ability to turn ideas into value faster than your competition. Do you think this is primarily being driven and enabled by developments in technology? Or do you think that the world has just got that much more competitive? Yeah, I, I think technology is part of it, but I honestly think it's much, much more than that. So um, I think organizations, they're interested in whether they're going to be around in five years' time, maybe maybe two years' time. Um, and that's partly driven by more competition, um, whether it's from um, international global competition, whether it's from um, disruptive micro-businesses at the margins of their market. Um, I, I also think our expectations as, as humans, as you know, as consumers, as customers, as patients, as carers of family members, all, all, all of that. I think our, as we develop expectations from other areas of our life, you know, kind of instant, instant service from Amazon, etc., that influences what we expect from other areas of our lives. So, I, th I think there's been a kind of a mini sort of revolution in this area in work. So probably 10 years ago, definitely 15 years ago, what we're talking about used to be, it used to be the work of people in research, development, marketing, probably sales. And it was mainly about new products and services. And it was, mm. yeah, you know, yeah, well, those two. Um, it's really different now. I think there's been quite a democratization of the need for these skills across much more of the workforce. So um, whether it's to do with coming up with better or completely different processes that enable us to produce new products and services, whether it is about more people contributing ideas for new products and services, new markets, new strategies, new business models, it seems to me that much more 
of the workforce is expected to come up with ideas that improve things and and actually people want to learn these skills yeah we, we we firmly believe that innovation should be for everybody and it should be about anything um so I think th- I completely ag- agree with your your point that it has broadened and and deepened and and for us we we believe that's a really good thing. Mm. So I was, I was really interested in the Professor Ratty case study you refer to in your book, where he he set his team the problem of how to heat people in buildings. What struck me was his comment about design iterations, tests, and prototypes that can be used to convince clients of the needs for the idea being developed, and it resonated with me because. I read an article recently about the unwanted consequences of innovation, specifically client complaints following a change to a product or service that perhaps they didn't know was coming and didn't welcome. It's it's perhaps a bit cliched now, but allegedly Henry Ford said that if he'd asked the public what they wanted before the first car was introduced, they would have asked for faster horses. How how important do you think it is to test ideas with existing clients whilst they're in development? And do you think this is always necessary? Yeah, I think it's a great question. And it's quite subtle, I think, isn't it? So um, the, the Professor Ratty case you mentioned, just to give the listeners a little bit of background, he's he's an arch- he's a professor um, at MIT in the States. He's also a, um, an architect who yeah. runs his own practice. And he's been testing out a way of um, heating people at a kind of personal level um, in a prototype lab in Turin, in a way where people would use their mobile phones to tell the building how, <laughs> how hot they'd like to be as they walk around the building. And the building kind of tracks their position through GPS and heats them through kind of local warming. Um, interesting. Anyway, people can, people can find out um, more about it. And, and he talked about when when i interviewed him he did talk about doing various iterations of this because it was actually of course it was quite a big a big contract they were given um Mm. uh, so another thing i think is customers won't always agree with each other and and they're you know getting a complaint maybe it's just part of um introducing new things um so customers won't agree with each other, will they? I mean, if we if we waited until they agreed with each other, we wouldn't we wouldn't do anything. <laughs> true. Also, pe- um, people don't like change being imposed on them either. I think that's one of the key things you were talking about. Uh, people abs- are learning and change yeah. earlier. Of, it's all of about course. how it's done, isn't it? It is about how it's done, and so in a way, that's part of the role of testing, isn't it? To do some kind of co-creation with perhaps a sample of customers, whether it's existing customers. Whether we're talking about the new product service, whatever it is, being for a new market, in which case that might be with, you know, like a kind of representative group of customers from that new market. But there is something about the process of doing it um, with people it's intended for. I, I, I would say this is a real skills gap in a lot of sectors that, that we work in. Yeah. Um, I think that people often have plenty of passion for their ideas, have no problem coming up with ideas, have no problem um, linking ideas to strategy. Um, but there's often a challenge in turning interesting, intriguing, but quite raw ideas into testable concepts. And as a broad sweep 
statement. I would say we don't do it very well. Um, and I think it's interesting, the thing about Henry Ford, you know, if, if we're producing something, maybe that's a bit more radical for the market. Um, it's obviously, it can be trickier to get people to foresee what's coming um, in a way that might be helpful. It, so sometimes I think that's a bit trickier. It reminds me of, there's a Swedish company based in Malmo. They're called, I think they're called Hovding. It's H-O-V-D-I-N-G. Okay. It's, it, it's a company that produces um, safe cycling equipment. And the story goes that it was started up when two masters industrial design students were looking for a topic for their dissertation. So this was about, I think this was about 11 or 12 years ago. And they noted that there was um, some statutory law in Sweden that had been passed to make cycling helmets mandatory for under 15 year olds. And it was being talked about being extended for adults. And of course, you can imagine there was a lot of conversation about it. So they interviewed people who were not wearing cycling helmets. So it wasn't existing customers, but it might be kind of potential customers for something new. So they spoke to these people about why they didn't wear cycling helmets. And people said things like, um, I don't want to wear something that's polystyrene and ugly. It messes up my hair. <laughs> it, it, it looks rubbish when it's on. And then when I take it off, it's really inconvenient. I have to carry this huge thing around with me. And, you know, however, I do want to make myself safe when cycling. And somebody said something like, I want something that's invisible, but keeps me safe. And, and I, that was, I think, the insight that led to them developing um, a kind of airbag cycling helmet. So what, what they, I don't know if you can visualize this, Peter and, and <laughs> listeners, but what they, what they created was a product which is an airbag, but it sits in a pouch on your collar and on impact, it, in, it inflates and covers, you know, the kind of covers where it needs to on your head. So, that's, it. that's, that's extraordinary actually, isn't it? Yeah. Extraordinary. And also kind of, you think it just makes sense, doesn't it? Mm. But for them, they didn't, it wasn't that they spoke to existing customers based on existing products. They spoke to non cycling helmet users but what they did get was an insight and i think um i think we do need insights don't we we need we need insights about what customers and consumers need and to do some kind of testing yeah and then the creativity is how you how you then take that testing and feed that into your ideas isn't it and and pivot as they say and pivot yeah startup so yeah and and pivot without spending lots of money at the start without much risk at the start but some kind of co-creation um yeah and 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 learn fast yeah 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 the the other area i found really valuable in in the book was the chapter on creating the right climate and especially the value of humor and playfulness and and we know from the clients that we work with how how important that is if, if you were invited into a client where this doesn't exist and i'm sure we've both worked in companies like that how would you go about introducing it yeah i i've worked in companies like that um <laughs> and, you know and teams like it and it's a, i think this is a really interesting area so you know there are 
there's a lot of work being done to understand what is it that makes a healthy climate for innovation. One of the aspects of it is this thing which is sometimes called humour and playfulness. And really what it's getting at is, I think it's really about spontaneity. Spontaneity and people's ease with each other. So it's not really about, um, you know, we're going to have fun and playfulness between three o'clock and seven minutes past three every Wednesday. Um, And it's not necessarily about jokes and clowns of course. Um, but it's definitely about people feeling good around each other. So, you know, the psychologists who've done work into all of this, they call it positive affect. And it is that sense of lack of inhibition, spontaneity and ease in each other's company, which often leads to conversations developing in a way that something interesting pops out of it. So, you know, you can imagine where a team of people are thinking about ideas for new products, services, or whatever, that this, this kind of good feeling of being around each other is really, really helpful. But I find clients sometimes underestimate it. They think it sounds, they think it sounds light. Um, so I, I, sometimes what I've done is I've shared so, you know, I've, I've shared some of the research with senior leaders, you know, the leadership of that team, whoever's appropriate about this area. Um, and I'll talk about their role in in creating this mood, because in some ways it is it is a mood. It's 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 the sort of feeling that people want to have and then come back to having with each other. Um, it's also about interactions, really. I think what what I found is that where this is missing, what's happening is when people get together, it's all about tasks. It's all about short-term task pressures, which tend to drive out um, the fun and the enjoyment of being together. So we would also try, within the constraints of whatever people are working in, to get some kind of interaction going between people at work, possibly out of work. Um, It's hard to engineer it because, of course, that seems the kind of antithesis of what we're talking about, engineering fun. But (laughs) I I, I have found people often do a pretty good job of this. Once they understand a a little bit of the context, first of all, they know it. If it's missing, they know it's missing. Um, and but making some time and some space for interaction and people people even people finding out more about each other can be starting points um to to doing more of this does that make sense yeah uh, absolutely i mean it, it's it's all about the at the end of the day it's all about the culture that exists within the business isn't it i i read a mm. I read a, a really interesting piece um, last week, and I can't remember the name of the company off the top of my head, but it was a, an American firm where I think one day a week at 2.30, they have a disco. Everybody gets up. <laughs> They've even now even now installed disco lights, flashing lights and, and so forth. And at 2.30, I think it's every Wednesday or whenever it is, um, everything stops for a half an hour of everybody dancing together. And what was really interesting about it is that those people that didn't like the disco and didn't dance didn't stay in the company for very long i suppose that's not surprising really is it i love the image of it yeah yes. yeah fascinating yeah. i can't remember yeah. the, the name of the firm now if i if i find the article i'll ping it over to you because it's good it's yeah, yeah. an interesting read yeah Any, anyway moving on, on your on your blue green learning website you talk about gaining the confidence to step up innovation 
And in your book, you suggest that some organisations remove effectively groundbreaking ideas by imposing overly tough evaluation criteria at development stage gates. How significant do you think having the confidence to try new things is? Yeah, for sure. I I think confidence is important. And my experience is people feel more confident when they know they've got support Um, and and especially senior support. So I think there's something about, you know, people understanding the need for coming up with ideas that might sound really obvious, but often it's not articulated. You know, we're, we're, we, we have a kind of organizational strategy, but what's our innovation strategy? Um, so I think teams, teams need to understand, you know, what, what their contribution is towards innovation overall. So they need to understand the need. They need some permission. People will often say they don't kind of know the boundaries within which they can test out new ideas. They don't struggle to come up with ideas, but they often don't know how far they can go in in applying them and testing them. And then there's something about um, acceptance of failure. You know, stroke learning, stroke pivoting and having another go. So I I think there's, there's something about, it doesn't all come down to leadership, but there's something about leaders giving people some space um, and, and, you know, by implication, the confidence to, to test out ideas in a way where they're going to learn lots and minimize the risk by doing so. Because if, if, if organizations don't do those things, I think what they tend to do is they end up um, with lots of incremental change. Um, mm. very, very, very low risk, very low cost, but they tend to be ideas that make current ways um, improved rather than bringing in new and different ways yeah and horizon can... horizon one innovation effectively so it's all, all very yeah. safe and it's about a, it's about a it's about allowing people to fail isn't it and not and not having that sort of blame culture that makes people scared of failure yeah and i and i've seen it you know i can see right now in my mind's eye a the md of a healthcare business a f- few years back who came and talked to a group who were responsible for countywide um, policies for children and young people services. And this group was on a training program. Mm. Um, but the MD of the organization came and talked to them about why this was important and that they had her full support. And she reappeared a couple of times over the course of this program. And she really gave them in a way that most people don't very clear guidelines and she gave them a reason and she gave them very clear guidelines and she gave them safety. They knew that she was going to support them. And actually it made a massive difference. It does. I, I think, I think you just can't underestimate the importance of, of, of leadership. And a lot of your book is, is focused on, on the leader, isn't it? And I think mm. that's, that's a really valuable component of it, but just, just returning to your book, how would you like people to use it? Do you think? Well, I think um, one thing that they could use it for is to gain some confidence themselves and, and also for them to start making the argument that innovation, uh, it, it's not chaos. It's a discipline and it's a learnable one. Of course, there is, there's an inevitable dose of uncertainty um, and ambiguity that goes with innovation. Because if we knew what was going to pop out the other end, then it probably wouldn't be innovation. But, <laughs> but I true. think... Um, 
but sometimes people think, you know, we're starting from scratch in this area and we're not. We're using, you know, six decades plus worth of learning. So uh, to me, it, it's a discipline. So learn about it um, make the argument about it. Join communities and test things out. Share your stories. In a way, I want, I want it to give people confidence that there's a great big foundation of, of um, knowledge and practice that is already around that people can tap into. Um, so they're not on their own. I, I think it definitely gets that idea across, um, mm. Rob. Definitely yeah, good, does. good. So, so what's next for you then? Creativity and innovation are pretty big subjects, aren't there? Is there, is there another book perhaps? Yeah, I think, well, I think there is. So, so early days. Um, but I, I am in the early stages of doing some research to um, write a story, write, well, write a book about a community in which I grew up. So this was a very Welsh-Irish community. Um, in uh, in Swansea and w one of the things that was interesting about it is that it was an extremely cohesive community in in a way that most places I've lived since were not so you know I, so I think I've, I'm I'm interested in the area of community as a topic in itself um, and um, it, it's early stages Peter but I I think um, there's something about that place and at the time which was sort of 70s into early 80s that that in retrospect becomes clearer to me as I get a little older than it was when I was living there so I think I'm going to write a book about it excellent hindsight is a wonderful thing sometimes isn't it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> well I look forward to seeing that you, you need to let us know when it's published and perhaps we'll invite you back to book club yeah I will I would I would love to thank you very much well, that, that seems to be a good place on which to end this conversation. I, I'm sure we could probably talk all day about this subject, Rob, if we, um, if we wanted to. But it remains for me to thank you, Rob, for joining us. It's just been a real pleasure to talk to you this morning. Um, so Rob's book, How Leaders Learn to Boost, Boost Creativity in Teams, is published by World Scientific, World Scientific sorry, and is available now on Amazon. Uh, please leave a review when you've read it. If you'd like to find out more about how we approach innovation, you can listen to other podcasts and download our white paper called Finding Your North Star from our website, www.hgkc.co.uk. Thank you for listening and goodbye.